Y'all ready for the word? Cool. If you got a Bible, join me in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Once you got it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you're able. Join me as we read the word of God. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Got it? If you got it, say got it. Got it. All right. Here now the reading of God's word. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Remember those words. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Very words of God, amen. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, our reassurance lies in his resurrection. You say that with me? Our reassurance lies in his resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Lord, I thank you for this gathering of folks here on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, where we remember what you did for us and all you did on our behalf, God. Lord, I pray one thing right now, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross and it would be not me speaking, but you speaking. May you be lifted up in this place. Decrease me so that you may increase. Pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, Amen, amen. Be seated. Well, in 2014, there was a movie that was released named The Judge. Anybody seen that movie? Well, I'm about to spoil it for all of y'all didn't raise your hand, okay? Great movie. The Judge, the the story of a fairly successful Chicago lawyer starred by none other than Robert Downey Jr. That's Iron Man. Y'all know him, right? Got the thing on his chest. It's Iron Man. Flies to the sky with a suit on Iron Man. Pretty funny. That's, That's him. So Robert Downey Jr. plays this successful Chicago lawyer, and he hears about his mother dying. So he packs up his things and he goes to his small town in Indiana where he was from and upon arriving here in this town, he sees all of these people, these friends and family members which he hasn't seen in years and he gets there and among those people that he sees is his father, the judge played by Robert Duvall. He sees his father, his father, now y'all got to understand in a small town, the judge is the man. He's the man in charge. Everybody knows the judge. He's the most powerful guy in the city. Everybody knows who he is. And this is part of the reason my man left 
Indiana and came to Chicago, not to be in his father's shadow, but he comes back and he sees his father. Now the plot goes, one night the father leaves the house at night, he drives his Cadillac. This, this is the Cadillac, and maybe y'all have somebody in your family like this. That this is their car. Nobody touches this car. He knows every smudge on the car, every dent, every ding, because he's the only one that has driven the car. This is his car. So he goes out that night, the late one night, and he, he drives his car, and then he makes it back home safely, parks his car in the drive or in the garage, and his sons wake up the next morning and they see the car and they see the dent and the ding and they come to their father and he's like, I don't know where that came from. He refuses to say where it actually came from. He, he says he doesn't know and he says, well, they did it. And he's like, we don't drive your car. That's your Cadillac. But he says, I do not know where it comes from. He didn't know where the dent came from. That is until the police showed up accusing him of a hit and run murder. The guy who the judge allegedly hit was a man that he had convicted of murder years ago. But while he was convicting the man, he's looking at this young boy and he's saying, he's looking at him and he's seeing one of his sons. So instead of convicting him the way that he should have, he, he's leaning on him because he sees his son and he, he lessens his, 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 the murder rate and, and he lets him out early. And because of this, he's burdened by this because he knew he made a mistake by letting this guy off early. The guy gets out of prison, and what's happening now over the years, the judges, all this bitterness is welling up in his system. You see, so if you follow me, what, what this is called is it's, it's motive there. It's motive there. The guy's dead now, and there's a dent on his car, so there's motive there because there's bitterness in his system. But the people in the town including the brothers, they highly doubted that the father could do something of this magnitude. The man who upholds the law, there's no way that he could do this. Everyone doubted. Even the father himself is continually saying, I did not do this. He's refusing to admit that he did this. He cannot remember. He's like, I did not do this. I know I did not do this. Everyone doubted. That is until the evidence showed up. The store tape was played, showing that after running with the criminal at the store, father gets in his Cadillac, he drives off one other, the other way, opposite of the man, only to be seen in the store camera, speeding down the street to run over the guy. Come to find out, the father couldn't remember because he had leukemia and was losing his mind. What's the moral of the story? Hear me, family. We can doubt all we want to that something is true. But at the end of the day, that does not mean it's not true. See, Renew, on this Easter morning, in our text, we come across a man by the name of Thomas, a man I want to dub the name Doubting Thomas, where the disciples come running to him saying, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. He has risen. But old Downton Thomas is like, no, 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 no. Unless I see his hands and I'm able to put my finger in those holes in his hands and my, my hand in his side, I will not believe. He says this until Jesus shows up with the evidence, y'all. Mm. Shows up with the evidence. He says, Thomas, put your finger here. Take your hand and put it in my side. You see, I say again, we can doubt all we want that something is true, but that does not mean 
it's not true. For centuries, people have doubted the resurrection. Some of you all may have walked in here today doubting the fact that the resurrection is true. But hear me again. Just because we doubt, that does not mean it's not true. In fact, I want to tell you this morning that the resurrection reassures us in our faith in the midst of doubt. And with that, I got three points, and I want to get out of your way after these three points. Jesus says, number one, he says, I got you. You got a pen and pad, write these down. Number two, Jesus meets us in our doubt. And number three, Jesus always follows through to completion. Let me say those again. Jesus says, I got you. Number two, Jesus meets us in our doubt. And number three, Jesus always follow, follows through to completion. Amen? Our text today comes on the heels of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. He has been laying in this tomb now for three days, and he's just risen from the grave. Now, earlier in chapter 20, Mary, in our context, Mary, Peter, and another disciple see the body. That they see that it has been taken away from the grave. They, 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 they don't know what happened. They think somebody might have stole it. But, but see, what happens is they didn't understand the scripture that was read earlier in, in verse 9 where, where Jesus must rise. They, they didn't understand this. So the disciples, they return home. They return home. They leave Mary. They, they go home. And then Jesus appears to Mary, who she doesn't recognize. She doesn't recognize him until he says her name. There's something powerful about that. He's the only one that can say her name a certain way. He says, Mary. She understands and she knows at that second that it's Jesus. And what does she do? She runs off to tell the other disciples, I've seen Jesus. He's risen from the grave. Then the other disciples, Jesus appears to them and he's in his resurrected body and they do the same thing Mary does. They run the other way because Thomas is not with them and they go tell Thomas, look, we've seen the Lord. He's risen from the grave. He's risen from the grave. And that's where we are in our text today. Thomas was not with them when they saw Jesus. And they run and they say, we've seen the Lord. Now, some of you all here may be Bible thumpers and you remember when Thomas is really introduced to us in chapter 11 of John. When Jesus finds out his friend Lazarus is, is dead, which he finds this out after the third time he's been threatened to be stoned again. Now, why is this significant? Jesus has just been threatened for the third time to be stoned. So, and his friend is dead back in Judea. So, Here's the thing, if Jesus, know, Jesus knows that he's going to die if he goes back into Judea where his friend is, but his friend has died. So what happens is the disciples hear this and they're like, well, he's dead, it is what it is. And Jesus is like, no, 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 we gotta go. And they're like, no, Jesus, if we go through that place, you're going to surely be killed. And, he's, and what does Jesus do? He goes anyway. And this is where we're introduced to Thomas. Because Thomas, I could picture him standing up Chest stuck out, stuck out, and he, and he says, in the midst of everybody else, look, if Jesus is going, let us go with him so that we may die with him. Powerful words, right? Powerful, right? So up to this point, what do we know about Thomas? Thomas is a loyal man. He's full of courage. He's faithful. He's the type of ride or die disciple or friend that you want by your side in the midst of calamity. You got anybody like that in your life? Somebody that's ride or die, y'all gonna have to talk to me this morning, come on now. Anybody that, that's ride or die, that's by your side, maybe a spouse or a friend that, that's there in the midst of the calamity, midst of the problems, they're by your side. 
But here's the problem. This understanding of Thomas we see in chapter 11 is much different than what we see right here in chapter 20. See, these disciples come to him and the text says they told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, let me frame this up a bit for you. When they say they've told him, when they, when they say this, I told you, in the original language, it's really emphasizing the point that they said it repeatedly. They came to him, we have seen the Lord. And picture some little child coming to you. Some of y'all that have kids, you understand what I'm saying. Mama, 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 we have seen the Lord. They're, they're jumping up and down. We have seen the Lord. They're excited. And my man Thomas looks at them like they're crazy. Look, and says, look, in verse 25, look what he says. He says, look, unless I see his hands. Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and I place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. This is a strong statement. This is strong. And from what we know about Thomas, this makes no sense. He is supposed to be this faithful, ride or die, loyal disciple, not the doubtful one. But you see, the problem here that we see in this text with Thomas is, is one that's plaguing us today, which is this whole idea of seeing is believing. I have to see something to believe it, which brings us to our first point. Jesus says, I got you. As long as my man Thomas is with Jesus and he can see Jesus, he's faithful. But when he can't see or touch Jesus, it's hard for him to believe. You know anybody like that? Do, do you struggle with that sometimes? And the truth is, Thomas was not the only one doubting. I mean, all of the disciples were doubting because up until Jesus showed up to them, they were moping around like some sad puppy dogs. They lost their best friend, they're, they don't know where to go, where to turn, they, they're, they're lost without their teacher. And friends, let's be honest, we all too doubt Jesus from time to time. We do if we're honest this morning. When things get hard, man, I don't know if Jesus is going to show up this time. Where's Jesus? Man, I just lost my job. Where's Jesus? Man, man my marriage is falling apart. Where is Jesus? Just had a miscarriage. Where is Jesus? I didn't get that grade on my test that I wanted to. Where, where is Jesus? I'm still single. Where is Jesus? We can tend to doubt him from time to time. All of us can. But for the believer in here, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, the, the truth is that, that we walk by faith and not by sight. See, faith is trusting God and his word. In his word and his promises, what he says, that, that it's true, that it will come to pass. And, and hear me, his word does not change. It does not go up and down or change with our feelings or our circumstances. It stays the same. He stays the same. This means when, when hard things happen to us, regardless of what the situation looks like, we have to trust God in the midst of it. Which is why I believe Jesus, when he first comes to the disciples in verse 20, he says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He says this to them. And then he says it again to them in verse 21. Then he says it a third time in our text today in verse 26. And you know why he says that? 
You know why Jesus says this? Because he knows they're doubting. He knows they're worried. So he not only wants to show them his resurrected body like I'm alive, but he also wants to calm all the nerves in the room. He wants to calm, calm the, the thought of the unknown, their pain, their fear, and their feelings. And with those four words, peace be with you, Jesus is basically saying, look, look, I got you. I, I got your back. I got you. Just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not here. Just because you can't see me working doesn't mean that I'm not working. Everything's going to be okay. He says, I got you. He says, I got you. You still single? He says, I got you. You just lost your job? I got you. You have a far, hard financial times right now? Look, I, I got you. I'm here with you. He's saying, I got you. See, Jesus through his resurrection isn't just saying, look at me, I'm alive. But he's also saying to the disciples and to us, just believe in me because I'm here and I got you. I got you. Jesus says, I got you through his resurrection. He says, you may not know everything or why things happen or how they will happen, but know I'm here. It's like some of y'all not going with me, so it's kind of like this. It's kind of like when you may be struggling with something in your life. You may be going through a hard time and you have that friend or your, your spouse that comes alongside you and says, look, look, I'm here with you. Maybe they put their hand on your back and they say, I got you. I'll be your backbone this time. I'm with you. I got you. That's what Jesus is saying right here. He said, peace be with you. Trust me. I got you. Now, family, this should make us joyful. It should make us joyful, joyful that our faith, what we believe is not contingent upon our circumstances, our situations, what we can see or what we can touch. But instead, my faith, our faith is found in trusting an all supreme God, hear me, who created the universe, who hung every star in the sky, who knows all of them by name, who knows all the numbers of hairs on each one of our heads, and then he's still holding up every part of the universe to this day. That's where our faith is. So renewal, we all have doubts. And hear me, it is okay to doubt. We all do, including those right here in the text that have walked very closely with Jesus, the disciples. But the question we must answer this morning is, is my faith or my lack of faith based off of what I can't see? The things I don't know or what's happening around me, like Thomas, or, if it, or is it based off of my trust in the all supremacy or, or the supremacy of God? The God who made everything and then in the midst of that makes me and then he says, I got you. What is our faith? Where, where is our faith rooted? See, the truth is here, hear me, y'all, some of us in here, we may have some hard life decisions that we're going through right now. Things that are surrounding our, our lives, we, we have to make some choices, whether that be changing jobs, moving, having kids, getting married, or, or something else. Or, or you might, and, and you may have all the pros and the cons weighed out on each side. You may have thought through every scenario. And hear me, we should do all of that. But then at the end of the day, you still feel like you're stuck. You ever been there before? 
you still feel like you're stuck. And you know why? Because there's this huge elephant in the room called the unknown. You ever been there before? Maybe you're there right now. What's on the other side if I take this step? And family, walking by faith in certain situations may look like you not knowing what's going to happen next. But walking by faith may mean taking that new job or denying that job, trusting and walking by faith that Jesus says, peace be with you, I got you. Or it may be moving someplace else where you have no community or you just moved here to Chicago and you don't know anybody and you're scared out your mind. Hear me, Jesus says, peace be with you. I got you. Whatever it may be in life that's leaving you stunted or is leading you to this place of doubt, Jesus says, I really believe right now in his text what he's saying, the same thing he says to the disciples, he's saying to us, peace be with you, I'm here and I got you. He gives them what they need to go on and they do some marvelous things. They go out all across the world and they're sharing the word of Christ with other people and that's why we can talk about the resurrection today. Jesus says, peace be with you, I got you. But I know some of us in here, For some of us, peace be with you, or him saying the words, I got you, is simply not enough. It's simply not enough. Which brings us to the second point, because sometimes Jesus has to meet us right in the midst of our doubt with proof and evidence of who he is. So look back at the text with me. Look at this text with me. The text says he appears to the disciples, and after he says, peace be with you, for the third time, Unlike verse 20, if you see it here, Thomas is there now. Thomas does not say one word, but instead Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, Thomas, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. See, when Jesus says this to Thomas, he's telling Thomas, it's okay that you're doubting. It's okay that that you're reasoning. I can handle all of that. So so touch my side. Touch my wounds, Thomas. Don't, don't, Don't disbelieve, but believe. See, but I think this this is very interesting to notice. You got to pay attention to this because Jesus does not get mad or upset with Thomas at all because he's doubting right now. But instead, he meets him with grace right in the midst of his doubt. Jesus, hear me, friends, hear hear me, this is for us. He always meets us right where we are, whether we don't believe, whether we're having a hard day or we're doubting. He meets us right in the midst of that mess. Thomas is doubting and Jesus meets him with truth. He tells Thomas exactly what he needs to hear and he he lets him do what he needs to do to believe. There's something very significant about this. Jesus could have explained to him how he resurrected. He could have shown him the the empty tomb. Or he could have done nothing at all because they should have just believed that he said he was going to come back. This is significant because what Thomas asked for, hear me y'all, was proof. He wanted proof. He wanted evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. that, That this was Jesus. He wanted to know this was Jesus. 
He's literally saying, the truth I know, here's the truth I know, the truth I know about my Savior is that he was hung on a cross, that he had nails in his hands and nails in his feet. That's what I know about my Savior. That's what I know about my Lord. Anybody can tell me how he resurrected. Anybody can show me an empty tomb. But unless I see Jesus, unless I touch those wounds in his hands and in his side, I will not believe. And what does Jesus do? He allows Thomas to do just that. See, family, the point I'm trying to get at is that we have a gracious father where even in the midst of our unbelief or our doubt where it seems like there's no hope, nobody has the answer, or we're just stuck, God has a way of working through the, the work of the Holy Spirit to just get on up in the midst of our mess, in the nooks and the crannies of our lives and our circumstances and say, I'm here. I'm here. Believe. I'm here. Family, has God ever graciously proven himself to you? Maybe someone else, Has he, have you ever seen him prove himself to someone else? Maybe you're doubting, or maybe you were doubting, and he just worked on up in the midst of that and said, look, this is me. Has he ever shown you that he can do what he said he can do? Has he ever graciously proven himself to you? I remember about seven years ago, my first child was born, Ramaya, my little girl. She was cute as ever. Bruises all over her face because she was so big, y'all. Nine pounds, two ounces. Pray for my wife. We have big babies. She, she came out, y'all, and, and the joy, it was so, I was so joyful. I was excited to have my first child. And then about a year later or so, before she turned one, we found out we were pregnant again. Y'all was scared as all get out. I, I was broke. I didn't have any money. We were raising support to be missionaries on ca with Campus Crusade, and I'm like, I have no money. We cannot support another child in this house. I cannot do this. So, so we're like, should we praise God or should we get mad at him right now? I, I don't know what to do. And in the midst of that, we found solace to the point where we were able to say, okay, thank you, Jesus, for this new baby that's coming. We went to the hospital or the doctor and we got into the doctor's office and there was no heartbeat. We had just come to the place where we were able to embrace the fact that we were having another child. Our hearts sank. We began to cry in that office like never before. We just came to the grips of having this baby and now we have a miscarriage? Come on, God. We started to doubt God in ways we'd never done before. And then several months later, we found out we were pregnant again, only to have our emotions go high and then low again because a week later we found out we had another miscarriage. You talk about low times? We had two miscarriages in less than six months. God, what are you doing? God, I'm trying to serve you with my life as a missionary and you're taking babies from me. What are you doing, God? We could not see our way out of this. We thought we just wouldn't be able to have kids anymore. Until four months later, we got pregnant again. And this time, I, we had very low expectations. We had doubts. But God was gracious, family. 
and he provided us with Eliana, where her name means, my God has answered. So now every time I begin to doubt, when I think God can't move, I look at my daughter Eliana and I say, God will answer. He will answer. He is here. Some of y'all probably missed that though. So let me ask you plainly. Has God ever shown up in your doubt before? Has he ever answered you and said, I got you. I am here. You may be going through it with no hope, and then then God just graciously just wiggles all up in there, and, and he says, I'm here. Has God ever done that for you? Here's Thomas in our text. He's questioning the resurrection. He's questioning Jesus, and he's hurting because his teacher is gone. Even his closest brothers can't convince him of Jesus being risen from the grave. But when Jesus shows up with the evidence, what's Thomas' reaction? He says, my Lord and my God. I love those words. Renew, what's the point? Sometimes it may not be enough for Jesus to say to you, I got you. Sometimes he has to show up and move. And he most certainly, graciously does. Which brings us to the last point. Jesus always follows through to completion. The reason I say this is because I I know there's still a question in some of you all's minds that's that's lingering. There's still, there's, there's this question because why would Jesus show up in our doubt? Why would, well, he doesn't have to. Why would he appear to the disciples? I already told you, they should have just trusted everything he said. Why would he appear now? He doesn't have to do this. And the answer is simple, because he wants them as well as us to know that he's not only Savior, but he's God. He wants them to know that he's God, and Thomas answers exactly right. Let's pay very close attention to what Thomas' reaction. What, what does he say to Jesus after he touches him? He says, my Lord and my God. The word Lord here, it literally means having power or or having legal power over something or someone. So Thomas is saying with this one word, you are the Lord of my life. You have all the power. You have all the control. You are my savior. You are it. Now, the second word he says is God. He says God, and in this sense, it means the creator of life or or the sustainer of life and the universe. Thomas is saying, not only are you my Savior and Lord, the Lord of my life, but you are God who created everything and holds the whole universe together. See, Thomas is declaring his faith in Jesus Christ right here. Why is he doing this? Because he sees Jesus has truly resurrected. Y'all missed that. See, follow me with this. Because up until this point, up until this point, Jesus to his disciples, he's just Lord. He's he's just teaching them. He's not not God. They they often called him Rabboni or, or, or teacher. But after he resurrects, in their eyes, he now is God. See, it's the resurrection that brings all of this together. It brings everything together. Renewal, it's the resurrection that gives us life. 
The cross and Jesus being beat to a pulp, him being spit on, like in that video we saw, him being kicked on, being whipped, that means nothing without the resurrection. There's no redemption of our sins without the resurrection. See, see, the resurrection is what gives us hope. It's what makes our faith. Hear me. Jesus had to die. He had to die. Take our sins upon himself because he was the only one that was sinless. He was the only one that upheld all the commandments. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He walked blameless before God and us. He was the ultimate sacrifice. But without the resurrection, family, that sacrifice means nothing. Means nothing. Because the resurrection symbolizes his power over sin and death. He got up. He not only takes our sins upon himself, but he conquers them. Everybody say conquer. He conquers them when he takes them to the grave and then gets up. So without the resurrection, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our faith is meaningless. Without the resurrection, we would still be dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses with no hope, abandoned ship. This world is going down. We would have no hope. Hear me. His death and burial would be good intentions without the resurrection. He'd just be another good person. Okay, some of y'all are still missing this. So let me put this this way. You ever had good intentions to do something in your life? You ever had good intentions and you didn't, you didn't follow through and you left somebody ups- upset? Better yet, have you ever had somebody that had good intentions and told you they're going to do something for you? They're, they're going to do this or they're going to go here with you and then they don't do it. They don't follow through and then, you, then you're upset. You see, good intentions without the follow-through, they mean nothing. You see, Jesus dying on the cross and being buried wouldn't mean nothing. They'd just be good intentions without the follow-through of the resurrection. Y'all missed that. Y'all missed that. So let let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Anybody in here ever played baseball before? You played baseball before? Y'all got to talk to me. Anybody play baseball? Y'all love baseball? We, we got Cubs here. They just won a little, a, a couple years ago, something like that. They won, right? And the Sox won a little back, back 05, right? We won, we won some championships, right? We play baseball here in Chicago. Y'all ever played baseball before? Okay, if you ever played baseball before, every person that plays baseball has to learn how to throw ball, right? You got to learn how to throw the ball, and you have to learn how to do it the correct way. Every baseball player, no matter what position you play, you have to learn how to throw the ball. And the coach always tells you as you're throwing the ball, if you know baseball, he's always telling you, remember to follow through. Remember to follow through. Because as you throw the ball, it's all in the follow through. Without the correct follow through, the ball might not do, it's probably not going to do what you want it to do. It's not going to do what you intended to do. Y'all still not following me. No matter what you intended to do with the ball, when you throw it, it w- without the correct follow-through, the ball will never do what you want it to do. The throw is simply incomplete. You can have great intentions with the ball, but without the correct follow-through, it does not matter. Some of y'all are still missing what I'm saying. Here it is. Look, if you throw the ball and you leave it too high with the follow-through, it's going to go way too high. But if you follow through and you leave it too low, it's going to go straight into the dirt. But if you throw that thing with the right follow through, most of the time it's going to hit the right target, right? You got to have the right follow through. The ball will go where you want it to go if you have the right follow through. Now, what's the point, family? Hear me again. Intentions without the correct follow through mean nothing. 
And I tell you this morning, Jesus didn't just have good intentions, but he followed through when he came to this earth and died and was buried and rose three days later. Some of y'all still didn't get that, though. <laughs> let, let, me, let me talk about it some more. See, Jesus didn't stop at fulfilling prophecies, but he followed through. Jesus didn't stop at getting beat down, but he followed through. Jesus didn't stop at getting whipped to a pulp, but he followed through. Shall I keep going? Jesus didn't stop at getting hung on the cross, taking our sins to the grave, but he followed through. Jesus didn't stop at getting buried, but as the old church used to say, early, early one Sunday morning, he got up from the grave and followed through. See, some of y'all didn't know I could do that, right? I can holler a little bit. And see, this is what we must not miss. Hear me when I say this, because we cannot miss this. If he followed through in the resurrection, Getting up from the grave 2,000 years ago. Just think about what else he could do. How he could follow through on the things in your life. Think about it for a moment. That marriage that's on the rocks, Jesus can follow through. Those hard financial times that you're going through, Jesus can follow through. That troubled child that you're dealing with, Jesus can follow through. That broken relationship that you're in right now, here, here, Jesus can follow through. That broken relationship with your parents or your friend or your spouse, whoever it may be with, Jesus can follow through. That job you just lost, Jesus can follow through. Those health problems, Jesus can follow through. I can keep on going, but the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus follows through until completion. I say all this to say, family, that in the end of it's okay for us to doubt sometimes. It's okay. The outcome might not come as fast as we want it to. It may not even be what we want it to be. But the truth is, is that Jesus not only has good intentions, but he always, say it with me, he always follows through. This is why Thomas can say, my Lord and my God. He doesn't make this declaration when Jesus is on the cross. He does so when Jesus rises from the grave, when he resurrects, because the resurrection family is the consummation of Jesus' work on our behalf. Now, Thomas, as well as us that believe in here, family, we can go to our graves with confidence, knowing that we believe in God. We believe in Jesus who, who conquered death and sin so that we, when we die, we will not rot in the grave, but we'll be raised to walk in newness of life with him. We'll live with him forever, as Paul says. He says this in Romans 6, 23. Look at it with me. He says, for the wages of sin is death. We should have been dead. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As believers, we'll live with Jesus forever. I don't know about y'all, but that makes me happy, y'all. It makes me excited. See, family, Jesus took our sins on himself. He died in our place, but then he got up. The resurrection is the key to our faith. But the question for us this morning is, and hear me when I ask this, this question is, is that resurrection 
the key or the crux, the nail in the coffin for you of your faith? Is, is it the key for you? Is it the crux of your faith? See, it's the resurrection that pulls everything together. Pulls everything together. See, Jesus always follows through to completion. So family, as we get ready to end today, this brings us to the question of how shall we respond to this? How do we respond to this? Because I know some of us in here, there's a question in your mind you're saying, well, okay, Pastor D, that's very nice. That's awesome that, 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 that you're excited about Thomas. And Thomas was so excited when he put, when he put his hand, hand in Jesus' side or he put his finger in his hands. But look, 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 I, I, I don't get to see Jesus' resurrected body. I don't get to put my hand in his side or my, my finger in his hole. So, so why should I believe the resurrection? Jesus answers that question. Look at the last verse. Verse 29, his response to Thomas. He says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's for us. See, Thomas sees and he believes. We don't get to see in order to believe. So, so the last verse right here that Jesus says really pertains to us. He's talking to you and I. He's talking to us. I do not believe when Jesus says this, he's saying one is greater than the other, whether you see and believe or you don't see and believe. But this statement right now is really one of slight rebuke to Thomas and then one of hope towards us. He's saying, Thomas, just because you have seen me, don't think this is the only way to believe. See, he's pointing back to what we already talked about, that verse I mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5, that, that faith, we, we don't walk by we, 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 don't believe, we don't believe by what we see. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. We would never see Jesus rise from the grave. We won't see that happen. We won't see him rise from the grave like the disciples did. But that does not mean we cannot believe or that he didn't do it. He's telling us to have hope because those who believe without seeing will still be blessed even though they haven't seen me. So friends, it's okay to doubt, but the simple fact is that after 2,000 years, there has never been a body, body back found. There's no bones that have been discovered. They, they, they haven't found anything from Jesus. But instead, what we see in 1 Corinthians 15, it would tell us that over 500 plus people saw Jesus walk the earth as, after he resurrected from the grave. We'd also read about 10 out of 12 of the disciples dying a martyrous death, meaning they believed in Jesus to the point that they would go to their death for their belief. See, friends, here, here's the point. I'm going to bring it back to you. We can doubt all we want to, up and down, around about. We can doubt all we want to. But just like in the movie, the judge, there's enough evidence. Let me say it again. Y'all missed it. There's enough evidence that there's enough evidence that proves there is a resurrected truth. Jesus followed through. And if he did 2,000 years ago, defeating sin and death, know this, know this, he is not dead, but he's alive. He's alive, and, and that means for us that believe in here, hear me y'all, this means for us that believe in here, that they're stuck right now, that we're doubting, we're in that phase of unknown. Hold on. 
Hold on, because he still follows through today. Y'all, he is risen. He is risen. He is alive. Amen. Let's pray.